Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 183, where we interview Rob Phelan from the Choose Five Foundation and talk about financial literacy for kids. Who cares? They're putting money aside that's for future them. That's a great habit. And then once they're ready to say, okay, you know what? Now I get it. That, that light bulb has gone off and I'm ready to start investing. They're either, they have been doing this as a habit already, so they're in a much better financial position, or they're in the habit of putting money aside so it's not a big switch to go from saving to investing and getting that that train going. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me as always is my doesn't have any kids to teach Phi to yet co-host, Scott Trench. That doesn't mean I can't learn the theory. It'll be, I, I think it'll be really easy. I look forward to it. Yeah, Scott thinks that kids are just gonna be a piece of cake. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or teach finance to your young kids, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so that you can launch yourself towards those dreams. I am super excited to talk to Rob Phelan today. He is from the Choose Five Foundation, and his, I would say, passion is teaching kids about financial literacy and financial independence in general. And you can tell that he's really passionate about it in the episode today. Yeah, I, I thought it was a great show. I learned a tremendous amount. Really respect his foundation um, that, that he's building with uh, ChooseFIFoundation.org. And I think you're going to learn a lot. And there's, a, there's a, a ton of resources out there that maybe you were unaware of previously around teaching kids, your kids, other kids around uh, uh, financial literacy. I was certainly unaware of these resources. So I'm really glad he was able to share them with us today. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You ever feel like your vacation rental sits empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Rob Phelan from the Choose Five Foundation. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you today. Hey guys, I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Today, we're going to talk about a subject that is near and dear to my heart, which is personal finance and financial literacy for kids. I have two kids. They're 14 and 10. I'm so, oh, no. Wow. Oh, I hope she doesn't hear this. She's getting so mad. 14 and 11. And Very important. my 14 year old is going to start high school next year. And she is required to take a personal finance course starting with incoming freshmen. It is now a requirement in Colorado. And I'm super excited about that. And I've reached out to the instructor. I'm like, hey, this is my jam. Let's talk about it. Uh, Rob, let's talk about your money journey and your childhood growing up. You clearly know everything about money, right? Oh, of course. Yes. And uh, I feel so bad for that teacher who's going to be like, oh, crap, there's this person at home who actually knows what they're talking about <laughs> is going to be able to tell everything that I do wrong. So that is a nightmare, I'm guessing. Mindy mentioned uh, a previous recording that uh, 
she had already reached out to that teacher to volunteer her help in whatever capacity. And I was like, oh, poor teacher. (laughs) (laughs) They have no idea. But just to start off, I mean, that is a wonderful thing that there is states that are moving in that direction. And that is what we really want to see, like states saying this is something that's really important. Let's make this a requirement. And especially from ninth grade, like that is awesome. So what is the requirement? They just have to take a personal finance class sometime during high school, or is it every single year there's something built in? Is it part of another class? Do you know? 0.5 credits in four years. So, I mean, it's just baby steps starting off, but... Uh, and the Tiffany, the budgetista, has a New Jersey law that requires, uh, that's named after her, I don't have one yet, that it requires financial literacy in New Jersey as well. So that's really exciting. And hopefully the other 48 states can catch up. So if you're listening to this podcast and you've heard this you know, statement from Mindy that you know this is spreading from Colorado, we want to call this the Jensen effect as you know financial literacy spreads to other states. So we're going to try and make this thing happen. I like Rob a lot. <laughs> um, so it sounds like Colorado is where Maryland currently is. There's like some minor um, requirements that is at least mentioned that kids have to get some exposure to personal finance education during their high school career. Unfortunately, it can look like a very different spectrum depending on each school, even each teacher and how much they're going to include in it. Cause it's hard to monitor, like have they got a half credit of personal finance education or what the standards for that will look like. But I really hope that it is a start and it's a start towards a a full credit of personal finance education. That would be amazing. I think that's the big goal for most of us working in this space of personal finance education for kids. Let's just get at least one standalone class that's required to graduate so we can say you've got something under your belt that teaches you about money before you go out into the big world. But I totally missed your question. I like I was supposed to go back and talk about myself and we got totally distracted. <laughs> yeah, tell us about your your experience with education and money. Um, so in terms of formal education about money, pretty much nothing. Um, I grew up learning from just watching my parents do what they did with money. I, to this day, still don't know whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. It's just like I saw how they handled it. I didn't really get much like conversations about money. I was actually listening to your episode with Aaron Lowry recently and very much like if you asked about my parents, like money situation anyway, that's none of your business. Like it's not the business of the kid to know what's going on with the finances of the household. That's mommy's and daddy's job. And you don't need to know about that. So that's what my you know, financial education looked like growing up. There wasn't really much transparency about what was going on. I was encouraged to save, which is you know at least a great habit that my parents gave me. I became an expert at spending their money and saving all of my own, which is something I'm very proud of. And my parents still highlight to this day, like you are an expert at spending our money, but not your own. And, you know, they encouraged me to also venture out into a little bit of entrepreneurship as well. Like if I wanted something, it wasn't a flat no, it was okay, but you're going to have to pay for it yourself. So here are some ways that you can make money, um, whether it's different chores or different ideas. Um, I lived in New York growing up, so I was able to collect bottles and cans, take them to a bottle bank and get, you know, my five cents to a quarter for each bottle. So that was my way I started making money when I was, you know, in my six, seven, eight year old kind of phase. And that was at least great lessons. I think looking back now, I can be like, yes, that was positive money lessons that I got that helped set me on at least a path of thinking about saving and thinking about making more when I wanted to buy something. Awesome. Can can you give us like a very high level overview of your journey with money? Um, not, we, we usually would go 30, 40 minutes in this, but we'll try to condense that in just a two minute overview so we can spend most of the time talking about financial literacy for, for children. Sure. So um, grew up that way, like observing, doing different things. Um, had a couple of mini businesses as I went into my teens. So I had a pinata making company. I tutored a little bit on the side. Um, I did a baking company in 10th grade as part of a entrepreneurship project in school. And those were all just kind of mini lessons that came along the way. No formal money education. Went to college, graduated as a phys ed and math teacher. There was no jobs in Ireland at the time, which is where I did my undergraduate degree. And so I ended up moving back to the US. I went to Boston and worked as a director of marketing and a full-time soccer coach, which I had absolutely no qualifications for, except maybe as a soccer player. So I was a natural. You went to school in Ireland. That's good enough. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. You have an accent. You can coach soccer, and that's that's all you need. Did that for a little bit. Went to grad school um, for STEM education um, in New York, and at that point, I had met my future wife and decided I was going to move down to Maryland to be with her. 
And when I moved in with her, I realized that she just knew way more about money than I did. So her upbringing had a bit more formal um, financial education from her dad, um, particularly like, you know, how you save, how you invest, which was a big one that I just had no clue about. And we realized in the beginning that there was this imbalance in our relationship, that she was making most of the financial decisions and it wasn't something that she embraced or wanted to do. She wanted more balance in our relationship because she felt like it was a lot of pressure to have to be like in charge of all the financial decisions for a household. And so that was the point where I started just like digging into a little bit myself. I think the first book I read was The Automatic Millionaire by David Bach. And I was like, oh, you know, this, this is doable. It's approachable. It's not like this big mystery that I need to solve. So I just started digging more. I found Dave Ramsey, um, started listening to more podcasts. And eventually I got asked that I want to teach personal finance at my high school. So there is a math class called Contemporary Math, which is like a hybrid of personal finance and math. And the teacher who had it was vacating the spot. And I didn't know enough really to teach at that point, but I said, sure, why not? And I spent that summer like just diving into the curriculum, figuring out, okay, what do kids need to know about money? Realized there wasn't really anything great out there. Like there's a lot of financial literacy stuff, which is just really dry and boring. Like here's how you balance a checkbook. Here's how you write a check. Here's how to do a mortgage loan amortization schedule. Like who cares? And what I was realizing from these podcasts I was listening to was it's not about what you know per se. It's about your attitudes, beliefs, values, your relationship with money. Like that's really what's going to determine whether you're going to become wealthy in the future or not. And because I couldn't find anything like that out there, I approached um, Choose a Fi as one of the podcasts I listened to the most. And I said, you know, I'm interested in creating something. Do you want to partner on this? And that's when I fell into this whole journey of creating a personal finance curriculum um, with Choose FI. And we were joined by Danny Mendonza and Mandy Bird, and we created a pre-K through 12 personal finance curriculum and so, story. That's awesome. So are you kind of still pursuing buy for yourself? Is that like, is that, is that still a personal goal? Yes. So my wife and I are on our journey to five. We've, I guess, actively been pursuing this for about five years now. Yeah, it sounds like we should talk to her about your, your, your five journey. Uh, At least in the beginning, about- definitely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I stole that from Mindy. Mindy, Mindy had that joke and I, I just ripped her, ripped it off. Um, all right. Uh, but moving on back to children's financial literacy, I, I don't know the first thing about this. I don't know at anything at all about teaching children um, and, and education and those types of things. And so, like, where do we even begin that discussion about how to approach this topic with with kids? Aside from the really great start you gave us around framing it as an attitudes, beliefs, uh, mindset about money rather than an amortization schedule and balancing a checkbook. All right, so let's go back to you know, you've got kids who are very young, like they're, you know, two, three, four, five, like before formal school starts. How do you teach them anything at that age? You show them. You show them, what else? Lecture no them. idea. I think it's gonna be really <laughs> How easy How do you teach your kids something? They surely know something. I showed that, well, Scott doesn't have any kids. I showed them, here's how you put this Cheerio in your mouth. Here's the sippy cup. Here's you start very small and show them and then it just builds on or they watch you and they imitate you. Yes. So a lot of observation and you take the time to show them and you point out and you voice like this is what I'm doing, this is why I'm doing it. You take them through your decision making process. But even more so, a lot of our kids learn through play. Like they um imagine different scenarios. They, you know, they have a great sense of like wanting to reenact what they're seeing and process what they're seeing in their everyday life. And if you take the time to sit down and play it out with them, you get a lot of those early lessons through that. Um, books are another wonderful example where, you know, kids just like to read with you and that's how we teach them to read and recognize words and that sort of thing. Um, you know, there's lots of different strategies that we use with kids just to teach them random things. And the same thing happens with money. So if you're taking them out to the store, like explain to them like, oh, if you want this, we have to pay for it. Um, Where does that money come from? Well, mommy and daddy or whoever has to go to work. And when they're at work, that's when they make the money that allows us to get these different things. And you just scale up the concept as time progresses. Um, If they have questions, you know, that's the best time to just sit down with them and be like, okay, let's let's talk through what this particular question was about, whether it was, why do you have to go to work? Um, Why can't I have this particular item or toy? where you said no to something, why did you say no? And you know, talking about like, okay, there's certain things we can and can't have, there's needs, there's wants, and just 
having conversations, I think, with your kids is a wonderful way to do it, and especially if they do show any curiosity in the area that you're willing to sit down with them and have, you know, explore those topics with them. Um, then as they get older, like the, the lessons that you have can change. Involving them in the financial decision-making process of the household is a really empowering thing for a child. Like if you can give them any sort of feeling of ownership over what's happening, they're going to show an interest and they're going to be much more compliant with like, say, you know, you're trying to get out of debt. You're trying to um, get rid of some credit card stuff. You're paying down student loans. You are trying to build wealth. Um, if you're involving your child in that decision-making process, like maybe not sharing the the a huge amount of stress or overwhelm that you're feeling, like we don't necessarily want to burden our children with that, but certainly saying like, okay, you know, this month we are going to try and save a thousand dollars. And these are the different ways we're going to try and do it. What do you think? What else do you think we could do to try and reach that goal and let them come up with some ideas like, oh, we could maybe spend less on cereal this month or something like that. Or like, I, there's something I can cut out. Like they have something that they can contribute to the situation. Um, I think well, kids- What age see is this appropriate for? So we start our curriculum at pre-K is when we start having formal, just like conversations and lessons about money. So through books, through different play activities, um, but this goes all the way up to high school, to college. I mean, we can have these lessons at any point in our adulthood, I, I, I feel anyway. I imagine, you know, lacking any expertise, but I imagine there's a continuum where, you know, pre-K is one level for, you know, first, second, or similarly in that same bucket, but a little bit more advanced and that kind of stuff. How do you bucket the the curriculum? Or like, where are some of the milestones in terms of the real differences in education you can start giving your kids over as they, as they age? So the nice thing is if you are in a situation where you can commit to these lessons from a pre-K through 12, like they, like you said, it just kind of builds up on itself rather than the scenario Mindy was putting out where maybe the first experience anyone has with personal finance education is in like high school where you have to try and go from beginning to end in one space. Um, so thinking about like literacy as well, like there's, you know, there's levels where you learn to read, like you start with smaller words, you start with bigger words, you go into sentences um, and we progress that as we go. Same kind of idea with money. So in the beginning, we're talking about things like you, you just have to pay for something. Um, you have to have patience, delayed gratification, but without using that word. So you want something. Well, let's let's talk about how we could save for it. And then as the students get older, we start bringing in more strategies of, well, here's how you save. Here's different types of accounts you can save in. Let's talk about now investing and getting your money to grow instead. Um, so I would say like early elementary school, it's very just basic, broad concepts. You might not even be using money terms very much. It's more so story and play. But then as they go into elementary school, we start talking about things like meal planning. So thinking ahead, um, having a plan for what you're going to do with your time, with your money, with your, your food. And by the time they're getting to middle school, that's when we're really starting to introduce um, some of the more complex, you know, in quotation mark topics. So talking about like retirement, what are taxes? And then when you're, when you're hitting high school, we're saying, what does a kid need to know? before they leave school that would allow them to be successful as an adult and building all the way up to, you know, here's how you get started investing. That's the key one is like, can you get kids to have bank accounts? Can you get them to start building habits for saving and investing and then making better buying decisions when things come around like student loans or new cars or houses, that sort of thing. So I start, I start my kid on this at four years old and we start talking about money. How rich should they be by the time they graduate high school? Oof. I don't know if I could put a number on that, but man, if you started at what age you said, four or five? Four, yeah, four or five. So I heard this wonderful concept like bank of dad where you know, you're encouraging your kid to save and you're just matching everything they save. And at some point you then you start investing it and you just keep showing them how it grows. Like they could have like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 by the time they're graduating high school. And if they just kept, kept adding like a hundred bucks a month to that, I mean, they would be in their millions probably by what, mid thirties? Yeah, so yeah, I'm all right. just get just get started. <laughs> I'm hoping that my kids can start a pet sitting business as uh, the country kind of opens up in the next few months. Fingers crossed. Um, yes. I want them to start a pet sitting business, a legitimate pet sitting business. They will pay taxes. They will. I mean, pay taxes. What is it like twelve thousand dollars that you have to make before you can pay taxes? But I want them to max out their Roth IRA. Yes. And that is a really boring thing to do. And my kids have been lectured about money since birth. So they're every, every once in a while, they're like, mom, I don't care. Mom, I don't want to hear it. 
And I'm like, no, 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 you have to. You, I started talking to them about the concept of a Roth IRA. And Daphne's like, she's the 11 year old. She's like, Ugh, mom, this is so boring. I'm not even listening. Wow. Thanks for and being so honest. But she's that's right. That's a hard one. Yeah. That is like, a hard what, one. What? Look at the amount of runway she has, Scott. If she starts contributing to her Roth IRA when she's um, when she's 11, look at how much wealth she can accumulate before she even graduates high school if she maxes that out every year. And how much fun is it for an 11-year-old to spend time working and earning income and then putting it all in the in the Roth IRA. Zero percent fun. She will revolt. So the bank of mom and dad will match her when she puts money into the Roth IRA. And even like saying that they're putting all of it in there, that's probably where some of the problem starts. Like if they're going to earn money, maybe keeping a portion of it for spending, like they can use that for whatever they want. And, you know, I like the families who say like when our kids make money, either it's gifts or chores or their own business that they have a spend, save, invest and give allocation to what they do with their money. So 50% of it goes into investing, 10% goes to saving. Uh, they give away 10% to whatever cause they feel is important to them at the time. And then what, what am I left with? 20%, they can do whatever they want with. And I think that is a bit more attractive to kids. Like, okay, there's a reason why I'm earning the money. Like there's something personal that I'm gaining out of this. Cause yeah, we're just trying to build habits at that point. Like they, they, they're not getting the concept of retirement. Like that's just so far away in the future. That's like four or five lifetimes away for them at that time. So it's, it's a hard one. You're trying to build that habit. And if you can just say, okay, we're going to build these good habits of saving and investing at that age. I mean, if you do that from a young age, by the time they graduate high school, they're at Coast Fi. Like they could just stop investing at that point, probably let it ride until they hit 65 and they've got their millions. They're good to go. And then anything they do afterwards is just bringing that day closer and closer. And they don't have to be stuck in a job they hate or a career that they decide they just don't love anymore. It gives them so much freedom when they don't have to be tied to it. And I've worked some really crappy jobs. I've worked some pretty, I have one boss who shall remain nameless. I'm not the president of her fan club. And I was there because I had to be. And giving your kids the freedom, setting these these habits in place so that they can have this freedom. Coast Fi, uh, I would like you to clarify because there's all these different types of Fi that are running around out there. So I just want to make sure we're on the same page. But that seems like a really great, powerful gift that you can give a kid. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think everyone likes coining their own terms. So there's, you know, there'll be a Jensen Fi out there soon, I'm sure. But Coast Fi is essentially where you have invested enough money and the idea of financial dependence is in loose terms, you have 25 times your annual expenses in investments so that if it's earning 8% interest, you could live off four and your money would never disappear. So you're at that financial independence point that you can live off your investments for the rest of your days. Coast Fi would be, I've got $100,000 in my accounts and if I'm okay with retiring at 65, I know right now, if I don't touch those accounts anymore, I stop contributing. By the time I get to 65, I will have my 1.2 million that I need to retire. So that's my FI, our FI number in our family. Um, so we are at that kind of borderline on Coast FI because I'm 31 now. So if we just let it ride for another 34 years, we would have enough to retire off of by 65. So everything we add now is just bringing our potential retirement date closer, even though I don't think either of us have any plans to retire early. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. 
And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. NetSuite.com slash BP Money. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. So let's try like more of a specific situation because it sounds like 11 is 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 too many lifetimes away from from money to, you know, there's things you can do as a parent to, to set set up your child um, downstream, the things that like Mindy mentioned but maybe like a junior or a senior in high school, it's starting to become more real and, and imminent. There's probably some work experience, you know, at the very least over the summer that most of those, those folks are getting in some capacity. Um, and then the real world is, is not too far away, or at least college is not too far away. How do I reach or motivate a person in that situation um, effectively with, with content like this? And that, that's the, the, the brilliant question for educators all the time is like, you know, how do I motivate my students to want to take action? Um, and we have some problems with adults in the same boat. Like, you know, you have all this wonderful information. You're looking at them like, why aren't you doing this? And um, it's really a case of some kids will, some kids won't. Some kids are ready to receive that message. Some kids are not. And we're trying to give them as much great information as we can and trying to get them to take as many actions as possible to put themselves on that path or at least give themselves opportunities in the future. So like, you know, many talking about an 11 year old, they're not going to care about retirement, but if we can just train them into that habit of putting a percentage of their money aside, whether it's going into a Roth account, a brokerage, a savings account, who cares? They're putting money aside. That's for future them. That's a great habit. And then once they're ready to say, okay, you know what? Now I get it. That, that light bulb has gone off and I'm ready to start investing. They're either, they have been doing this as a habit already. So they're in a much better financial position or they're in the habit of putting money aside. So it's not a big switch to go from saving to investing and getting that, that train going. Um, for my junior seniors, like I, I teach seniors this class every year. So fall and spring, I teach um, this personal finance class. And my goal is always that by the end, they have 
a checking account, a savings account, and they have at least set up a Roth IRA. So even if they don't put anything into it, I want the the mechanics to be there so that when they do decide to get started, that it's there for them to, to do it. Um, so we're taking away as many barriers to entry as possible. And I'm trying to make sure they know exactly how to get started when they do find that motivation. But yeah, it, it, a lot of times it's incentives for just getting started. Like if there's something that they really want to do, in my case, like I can offer incentives in terms of I have a local bank sponsor this project we do in the curriculum called the Passport to Financial Independence. And it's 40 actions that if a high schooler took these 40 actions and put them in place, they will be on like a supercharged path to financial independence. So it's opening a check account, opening a savings account, opening a, a, a brokerage account, a Roth IRA, um, contributing to some of those, um, having conversations with retired folks about, you know, what are some of your do's and don'ts for managing your money in the future? Like there's a whole bunch of these different um, tasks that they can do. And I got a local bank to sponsor it. And if they reach five, they get a, a prize. If they reach 10, they get a different prize, 15, 20, all the way up to 40. And then if the entire class reaches 200 of these financial behavioral changes, um, they sponsor a pizza party for the class. So, I mean, totally unrelated to being a responsible saver for retirement. But if that's what it takes to get them to start making those financial habits and putting those things in place, I consider that a huge win. Could I get a copy of this 40-step list? Absolutely. Can we share that with our listeners? Yes. So that is in the Chooseify curriculum, which is absolutely free for anybody to use, by the way. Um, parents, if you want to do this with your kids, it's it's for you. Teachers, if you want to do this with your students, it's for you. Homeschool cohorts, you can use this. Um, so yeah, it's at chooseifyfoundation.org and just go into like the pre-K-12 stuff and start exploring. It's right. One of the first things you will find is our passport to financial independence. I'm going to send this to my daughter's teacher and... Sorry, Mr. Benson. She's already getting <laughs> stuff. <laughs> what, what percentage of your seniors would you say buy in to, to this concept of buy? If I have an average class of 30, I probably get five or six who will really start, like their eyes spark up when they see like the compound interest calculators that, you know, this idea of not having to work for the rest of their lives is really exciting. Mostly because they've been working already for a couple of years and like, you know what, the work sucks. I don't like this. Um, so they get that a little bit already. Um, there's another bunch then who at the end, you know, when we do our surveys, they'll be like, you oh, know, this was really interesting. I learned a lot. Um, I can tell from the the measures that we take that, that they haven't put a lot of the steps in place yet. But they also are telling me like, I've got very short-term savings goals, such as paying for college. So I'm not ready to start investing yet. I'm like, okay, cool. You recognize that there is at least a big expense coming your way and you're saving for that. That's fine. Um, and I always encourage them to come back to me afterwards if they have questions or they're ready to get started at a later point or they have access to the materials, that sort of thing. Um, and then there's there's always going to be probably less than half who it seems like they're not listening to anything. But then I've had students come back to me a couple of years later and be like, oh, yeah, like I started a Roth IRA and, you know, I knew about that from class. I was like, oh, I literally thought you were sleeping the entire time. So that's wonderful. <laughs> it was It was osmosis. It was going in. I think that the... The stakes are so high there because if you get if you can get somebody to buy in during class and immediately go out and optimize their college experience and then their first couple of years in the workforce for this, I mean that that's how you get five hundred thousand dollars in net worth by the time you're twenty two, twenty three, twenty four potentially. If you know you throw in a house hack, you set up the Roth and you save and you work through college and that kind of stuff, and it's just a completely unfair. Uh, head start in life compared to everybody else. You could just have total power over everything you're going to do with your career and those types of things. And so I think, I just think like the work you're doing is great and the stakes couldn't, you know, couldn't be higher in some ways around it because it's just human potential that's, that's going to be realized by some of those students. Have you gone on to see any, any outcomes like that in your, in your time? So I'm still at that stage where I've been teaching this for four years now. So five years ago, I started you know, our own journey and then four years, I started teaching it. So the kids who graduated that first year are just starting to come out of college now, but I've had students reach out to me. Um, one student in particular is down in Florida and he reached out to me like a year later and was like, oh, by the way, like I've, I'm running my own business down on college campus. Like I'm drop shipping all of this stuff from, I think it was from China. He's like just importing it, marking it up and selling it on again. And He's like, I wear my like cowboy hat around the place because that's my brand. So everyone knows me when they see me. And like, he's just thinking about things differently. And I'm pretty sure he's just cash flowing his way through college with his side business. And 
this kid is going to be killing it by the time he comes out. Um, I've had some students, you know, they'll come to me and they're like, oh, my grandfather does real estate investing and I'm really interested in that. So like when I get to that section, they're interested and they may have no interest whatsoever in the stocks, the budgeting, the saving, but real estate investing for some reason is something they're really interested in. So giving them the tools to say, okay, well, if you want to start investing at like 19 years old, here are the things you're going to have to put in place to be able to do that. Like we're going to have to talk about getting that credit score started and moving up as fast as possible. Um, here's what house hacking looks like. Here's, you know, we, we have mortgage loan officers come in and they'll talk to them like, okay, you're at this age. This is what you're going to need to do to get a loan from us at that age to buy a house. Um, or here's how you would cash flow it, or here's how you would hack your way to owning property. And I think kids light up at that stuff. I'm like, I don't have any interest in real estate investing right now, but they do. And it's so important to foster that interest. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm on bigger pockets saying that. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. And I don't know anything about this. I've gone in and taught a few personal finance classes at the local high school here in Denver. Um, in the first you know, few years, most of the kids were asleep and I was very nervous and, and, and effective. In the last couple of years, it seems like there's a little bit more engagement with that. But they, they seem to engage with the idea of the house hack um, and, and, and the duplex you know, investment and those types of things. Have you, have you taught that concept about using real estate at all? Or is that kind of beyond the scope of your program? Oh, no, absolutely. Um, I have different you know, guests come in and do um, you know, Zoom, cl um, Zoom classes basically with um, the students or if they're local and they can come in, they do that. Um, and yeah, some will talk about real estate investing, like just buying rental properties um, and you know, using that as a wealth generating tool or an investment tool. Um, but we've had some people come in as well and talk about house hacking and particularly for college. Like, you know, if you could buy a property in a college town, you move in there, you bring in five or six of your buddies, they cover the entire mortgage plus some, so your cash flow positive on it. You finish five years and at that point you can either sell it on and buy something else in the new place you're going to live or just keep it there and let it keep cash flowing for you. Like they light up at that stuff. Cause yeah, they're like, oh, I need, I need to live somewhere why not have other people pay me to live there instead of me paying rent or something for myself? So yeah, that's, it's a very easy concept, I think, to grasp onto. And it's just making sure that they are putting the things in place that would allow them to buy a property like that at a young age. Because that's the hardest part is that if they go into it with no credit score, no down payment, nothing like that, it just becomes a harder move to make at that young age. And and no landlord to you know yell at you if you're you know hosting a responsible social event with your friends. <laughs> as well. So another advantage <laughs> for the, the college house hack. Yeah. I mean, you unfortunately take on that position of being the responsible landlord. Like if it's your house hack and you're inviting your buddies in there, then you, know, you have to think about, okay, do I, do I trust these people to not have socially responsible parties at my house and just trash it? Um, and some of them will look at it that way. And I find that's always a fun conversation too, when we talk about having roommates and the idea of picking your buddies versus like actually evaluating potential roommates for like, are they going to be productive members of the household? Are they going to be an absolute pain in the butt for like getting rent from or contributing to the chores of the house? Are they going to be like party animals who are going to be wrecking the place? And it's kind of like picking teams um, or, you know, doing group projects in school. It's like, you know, your buddies don't always make the best team members. And it goes the exact same way when you talk about living with someone. You've mentioned earlier that you felt that the students who had worked and kind of understood how work is work is work, um, especially your first couple of jobs in high school with that. They're, they're the ones who seem to engage the most in your class. Is that, is that, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Um, either they work for someone else or they've started their own business, but yeah, the ones who have worked and they have income and they, they recognize that, you know, their, their minimum wage income doesn't necessarily go as far as they think that, you know, even $15,000 a year sounds like a lot, but it's not really that much, um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, they're the ones who are kind of like, okay, yeah, I'm seeing this scenario play out. Like, it's not like a lot of times their parents are giving them more financial responsibility, either intentionally or by circumstance. So I have some students who are working almost full-time hours because they are supporting their family at the same time. So they see very firsthand, like, okay, this is what paycheck to paycheck feels like. I don't like it. Let's change that. Do you think, um, you know, rich dad, poor dad, there's a parable in there where, where they, they talk about how the rich dad basically had the kids working this terrible job for pennies an hour or whatever with that. And that was how they learned the lesson of like, oh, yep, I would rather be good with money than bad with money. As part of your program, do you ever think about how to expose kids healthily to that reality early on to get them motivated for it? Is that cruel and unusual. I don't know what, uh, what, what, what's, what's appropriate with this kind of stuff, but 
it, it seems like that's a powerful lesson to have that job that's kind of bad um, and not get the economic reward that you're hoping for. Well, the school frowns on me using the students as unpaid labor um, for different ah. things. So I can't do that. <laughs> But um, there are some wonderful simulations <laughs> but the foundation out there. Can yeah. do that, right? The foundation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that it's super powerful just for the kids that have been working there. When you're in high school, you probably don't have an awesome paying job. Yeah, there's the kid that always. There's always that one kid who's got like. When I was in high school, one of the kids I went to high school with was a bouncer at a bar, and I don't know how he was able to do that legally, um, and maybe he wasn't, but he was a big dude. And he was making a lot of money. So, of course, this lesson would kind of fall on deaf ears. He's 17. He's working at a bar. I bet he was drinking. I'm not going to name him by name, uh, Chris, but I bet he was drinking underage. And why would he not want to do that? He's got the whole world. But when your first job is working at Dairy Queen and you're like, wow, I Paid how much to FICA? Who is FICA? Why did they take half of my paycheck? Because I'm making three thirty-five an hour, and I thought I was going to have a big paycheck, and now I have like twenty-five dollars, and that was really hard. I would have been much more receptive to this information than probably Chris would have, because I was working the hard job, and it's not that hard at Dairy Queen, but it's still like you're on your feet and you're working, and now I get to sit in a chair and type and talk about real estate, and I love my job, and it's not so difficult anymore. So I think the kids that that have the experience are really going to be more receptive to it, especially if they've got the crappy experience. I don't know if that was a good example, because I mean, they got ice cream and you're just sitting in a chair in front of a computer. Like, uh, I don't know if that was a good one. You worked but, the seven and nine shift at Dairy first, <laughs> I, got, I got one. My first job was at Pier One Imports. Um, really? And there, there was That's nothing. Fancy, yeah, man. I went, I went around <laughs> and I applied. To, it was, it was uh, 2008 or 2007, right in the middle of the recession. And so I had to go to 20 places, just driving around the shopping center, applying for every single job um, in high school, just had my first car. And I get the job. And I'm, I'm, I unpack the boxes from the truck. I stock the shelves. I load the couch onto the car at eight o'clock at night on Saturday. I unwrap this enormous frog ornament that goes into someone's garden that's three feet tall and like made of stone that's ridiculously heavy. We sold six of them in the summer that I worked there somehow. Um, Not so scarred I, at all by this. I, I had no, I had no, I, I made like, I think, I, I don't know, $8 an hour or whatever, like very close to minimum wage. And I had no interest whatsoever in making use of the employee discount at the time that was awarded. <laughs> Thank to, goodness, to right? And, 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 I, and I just remember like that was that like nothing wrong with it. They didn't treat me poorly. There was nothing wrong. The, the break room was like super depressing um, at, at the place. And I was like, this is not the kind of job that I, that I want to do. And I think that was a powerful, I, I never, I was not motivated about financial independence, of course, for 10 more years following that or five more years following that. But I was motivated to get better and better jobs each time um, after that. So I don't, I don't know. That's why I'm kind of, I, I kind of think that you know maybe, maybe there's a benefit to, get, you know, having guiding your kid towards a, a a pretty lousy work experience one summer, and 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 maybe there's a maybe that's a a, a good kick in the the pants to get going on on the fire journey. I don't know. So I'm, maybe there'll be some angry comments on this episode uh, from me saying that, but possibly or like the, the fans, of, the fans of Dairy Queen coming back at you too. <laughs> um, I it was a hard, not hard job. It was fast paced. Like mm -hmm. when you uh, during the summer at Dairy Queen, there's a line, and from I worked the seven to nine shift, which is the busy busy shift, two hours. That kind of sucked. Because then my whole night is ruined because I was, I think I was 15 at the time. So my whole night is ruined. I can't do anything because I got to go to work. And then after work, it's curfew. So I have to be home. So, but for two hours. So I got six bucks. Yeah, that's, that's, that is that is tough. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you that one. It's tough. But just going back to your- year old. I'm sorry, going back go to your question of like how you recreate this, um, you know, in the curriculum, we use simulations. There are some wonderful simulations out there that- basically force kids to take on a job and budget and do all of these different things. And I actually wrote an article the other week about um, just different types of video games that are out there that, you know, ask kids to budget and cash flow manage and all those sorts of things. Like there are examples of this out there. Um, but yeah, you can recreate a lot of these um, digitally. And, you know, some of my favorites, like they pretty much make 
students, like poor college students, like they are literally trying to stretch to the end of the month, like every last penny, it's always a hard month. And most times they come out of it being like, that sucked. Like, I don't want to do that. And if they say that, I'm like, job done, we did it. Like you at least get it that like living paycheck to paycheck, um, not making enough income is a problem. And that's kind of that first step to like getting students to adopt some of these mindsets and mentalities and listen to lessons is just recognize there's a problem out there with how people are doing money right now. And then the fun part is, you know this, there's two ways to attack the problem. You either decrease your expenses or you increase your income. And for me, like the one that lights me up is increasing income. Like I don't really have any interest in cutting my expenses to the bone. I keep them within reason, but you always want income to be greater than expenses. So you got to attack the equation from one or both sides and increasing income is always a fun one to talk about. So like bringing entrepreneurship into a personal finance curriculum is something that we do in the Choose a Five Foundation, and it's just a really fun unit to teach. Okay, so I'm I'm one of the parents that does not have a child in your class specifically. Um, where can I go to learn about? I'm not one of the. I'm not a parent yet. I'm 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 just pretending I I am for the purposes of this question. Um, but the you know I, where can I go to get a uh, uh, access to to learning about how to teach my child about this or help other children in the community if, if that's something I want to do. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you're doing on that front? Yeah. So with um, Chooseify Foundation, this curriculum is freely accessible to anybody who wants to use it. You go to chooseifyfoundation.org. And then if you want the curriculum part particularly, you can get to forward slash pre-K 12. And what you'll see there is a pre-K curriculum, a kindergarten, a first, second, a third, a third through fifth, a six through eight and a nine through 12. So it's banded based on the grade level of the students. And you go in there, you will find it divided up by units and topics. So, you know, you can talk about budgeting, you can talk about taxes, you can talk about investing, um, insurance, whatever you want to, you will find it in there. And if you are a parent who just wants to bring this home, find a topic that you think your kid might be interested in talking about, explore maybe what a lesson for that might look like. And you don't necessarily have to teach it like you would in a classroom. You say, okay, what's what's the idea going on in here? What activities is this based off of? Is there a project involved? And then let's just do that with the kids at home and see like, you know, do they grab onto that idea or is it a bust? And maybe we need to try this another day. Um, you know, some of my favorite ones to do are our meal planning project. So you basically, as, as a high school student, we have this for each age range and it, it kind of gets simplified as you go further down. But at the high school level, um, I asked my students to budget for an entire week's worth of food. So let's plan out three meals a day for seven days. What are the meals? What ingredients do you need? How much do you think it would cost to buy those at a grocery store? So just like a quick estimate of what you think it would cost. Then we go to like online shopping apps like Instacart and we find out how much it actually would cost. They realized their week shop was like $250 because they wanted like steak every night of the week or they wanted all these expensive things. And then we're like, okay, well, based on the income you have right now or what you think you're going to have, we want to budget 10 to 15% for food. How do we get our food cost to come down into that to fit that budget? And so they have to start problem solving through things like increasing the quantities of different meals so they can eat the same meal multiple times um, a week or what foods are cheaper than others. How do I go generic versus brand name? And it's a it's a wonderful kind of thought exercise for them in terms of like, how do I navigate buying food and thinking about it from a cost perspective as well? And that can be done over the dinner table. It can be done in a classroom. Like it can be done anywhere. Um, so looking for things like that, I think are a wonderful thing to bring home to your students or to your kids at home. If and, you- and, and uh, is this, is this and, and so we go to, we go to choosefifoundation.org yep. and I will be able to go there and find the lesson plans and materials to prompt these types of that, like that particular exercise and more. Absolutely. Awesome, yeah. is, that, is that all free? All free. So the, um, the foundation exists to spread personal finance education to as many people as possible for free. And we're trying to reach everyone as opposed to like just the upper white middle class society. Like we want something that is applicable, relevant, and accessible to everyone. So if you have, you know, schools in your district and you're like, this is something they might be interested in. They don't have huge budgets. They're looking for something free. Send them that link and say like, Hey, here's something you might want to check out. Um, You can include this in an English lesson, a math lesson, a social studies lesson. It doesn't have to be a personal finance class. Like you can do book studies on different financial topics. Like I do a book study on richest man in Babylon in my class. 
And that's just one of my like favorite things to do with my students. And at the end, they're always like, wow, this book is really old, but man, it's relevant. Like, even though they're talking like in this weird Shakespearean kind of language, like it still makes sense. I get it. Um, so yeah, there's lots of different ways you can use it. And I would just suggest check it out and see, you know, look for something that the title stands out to you. You're like, okay, this could be interesting for me or for my own kids. Um, you could go into a high school and lead a mini class based on one of these things. Go to your local library and put on a class for adults using the high school curriculum. It's pretty much the same level as what an adult needs to know. Um, yeah, there's lots of um, potential for it. And if you're like, and, and you I have materials do- all the way from pre-K to grade 12. Is that right? Yes. Awesome. So and- if I'm a parent, I can just go in there, look at my look at look at the materials sorted by those age brackets, and then get some ideas, pick the one I like, send it to my kid, or I can just go through a curriculum line by line in the order you present. Is that right? Absolutely. And if you're like, I want a hands-off approach, like I don't have the time to do this or my kid just doesn't listen to me, which we do get a lot from parents. Like, you know, they want to learn from somebody that's just not me. Um, We do have, we're starting to create now some like self-paced asynchronous stuff for students to do, um, starting with third through fifth grade. So if you have a third through fifth grader at home, you're like, I want to kind of put them through a personal finance class um, that they can just like sit in front of a computer and take themselves we are starting to create that now. So you can go find that as well on the Chooseify Foundation um, page. And that is a paid product. So that is not a free one, but you know, all the materials are available for free as well. It's just if you want somebody actually teaching it to your kid, we can make that happen too. Are you a nonprofit? We are a nonprofit, absolutely. So if you do want to donate or support what we're doing, we will absolutely accept those donations and give you that tax deduction. All right, and, and if I buy the materials, that would go. That would that would it goes to a nonprofit. The, the all business. all stays within the foundation. You have to fund what we are doing. Great. Well, awesome. Um, thank you for sharing all of that. It sounds like a great resource. So go check that out at choosefifoundation.org, um, and you can find a lot of those materials and more of the stuff we talked about, and maybe get some ideas for teaching your kids or kids in the community about um, about buy right there. So thank you, Rob. Thank you. All right, Rob, in addition to the Choose FI Foundation, where where can people find more out, more about you? So choosefifoundation.org is a great place to find me. And then my own business is called The Simple Startup, where I teach 10 to 18-year-olds how to start their very own businesses. You can find me there at www.thesimplestartup.com. All right. Then yeah, you're going to need a business if you're 10 to 18 years old and you want to begin funding a Roth. Or if you're a parent and you want your kid to begin funding a Roth, they're going to need some income. Um, so... That's a good way to couple it with what Mindy's approach. Mindy, your kids make money. They don't want to put it in a Roth. So you give them, you match the dollars. They get to spend those and those go into the Roth. And then their income can go into the Roth. Yeah. So if you've got your kids at home wanting to do that dog sitting business and you're like, I don't know how to help them get it started. The Simple Startup is a great way for them to do that. It's like a 10-week program, all virtual, where I walk them through the steps of getting that business started. And the key thing is they do it for free and they do it fast. So it's not like, let's write a... 10 page business plan and take six months to get this thing started. They're going to start their business as fast as possible and grow it based on what their customers want. And and this is not a nonprofit. This is your personal business, right? Yes. This is a for-profit business. Okay. And do you touch on taxes for the kids? Because I do want to teach them about paying taxes because that is a big cold slap in the face when you get your first real job. So in terms of the simple startup, um, I give them the general, like you should put about 30% of it aside in a savings account to account okay. for taxes. And then, you know, you work with your parents at tax time to figure out what that looks like for you. Because if they're claiming use dependents, then it's a different situation versus if you're independent. Um, so yeah, nothing more than just that because not certified to give um, official tax information. Okay, yeah, no, I de- love definitely, that- definitely thinking about it. Yeah, I love that you get them thinking about that. I uh, see these people who are like, I made so much money on this. You're like, ooh, save some of that because the tax man yes, will come it. after Please you. Don't spend it. <laughs> yeah. And like for kids, like they probably will get to keep the majority of it unless they're making an exceptional amount of money. But at the same time, like you still want them doing a tax return and going through that process of how to do it. Yeah. And if you're paying taxes, that means you're making a lot of money. That's actually a really good thing is to be able to pay taxes. And and you have the bank of dad. You can also have the tax of dad, right? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds fun. It's like if you're All doing right. chores, it's like, oh, you made a dollar off doing this, but then dad takes tax back. So it's really 70 cents. Here you go. <laughs> that, that'll go well with the meal planning exercise after you introduce that. <laughs> now they can begin paying portions of their own meals. All yes. right. 
Um, goodness, this is this is so valuable for parents. I okay. hope so. Like, and I hope like as parents, you're looking at this like, oh, okay, it doesn't have to be this big scary thing. Like, I don't have to be a financial expert to talk to my kids about this stuff. Share what you're doing. Look for some games, activities, stories, play stuff that you can do that revolves around money, and just like you know, experience it with your kids. Learn alongside them, and the foundation curriculum is there for you if you need a little bit more guidance and support. Yeah, this sounds like a really great um, program, sister program with the Doug Nordman and Carol Pittner book, Secrets of a Money Savvy Family. Yes, they mm-hmm. had a um, wonderful book, great advice for raising you know kids and. Um, and talking to Doug, I think, yeah, it fits perfectly with what they feel about how you raise your kids. Like you have those conversations, you do that bank of dad or mom idea. Um, you, know, you give them responsibility for small amounts of money and increase the amount of decision-making power they have with their money as time goes on. Yeah, I love it. Rob, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day of being a teacher and running an entrepreneurial uh, startup and running the Choose Five Foundation education program to talk to us about this because I do think this is really, really, really important for all kids to know. I am going to go blast Mr. Benson. He's going to be like, curse you, Rob. <laughs> I had my whole thing planned out, but this one's better. No worries. Send him my email and I'll take all those questions and abuse as well. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate the chance to uh, talk to you and your audience. Yeah. yeah thank, thank you, you so much, Rob. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Okay, that was Rob Phelan. Scott, what'd you think of the episode today? Really enjoyed it. Learned a lot. A topic that I don't really know much about, but uh, uh, was fascinated by and love his passion, energy, commitment, dedication, organization with respect to attacking the problem of financial literacy for kids. I'm super excited to go check it out. Like I said before, my daughter's taking a class this summer, or I'm sorry, this fall, and I am really, really excited to share it with her teacher. I hope he is as equally excited to get it from me. <laughs> yeah, my my understanding is that teachers are really enthusiastic for uh, advice from parents on how to teach their classes. So look forward to seeing how that turns out, Mindy, <laughs> for you. <laughs> it's hard for me to be like, oh, this is my whole life. I'm super excited about this. I don't want to overwhelm you, but oh, I've got so many resources, please tap me. So I have to temper my excitement, but I'm definitely going to share this with my daughter's teacher. So Scott, we didn't do the traditional Famous Four with our guest today, but we do have a joke courtesy of our producer, Eric's children, Cora and Patrick. Cora and Patrick say, where does Frosty keep his money? Frosty the snowman. Hmm. In the snowbank. Ah, that's excellent. You got some smart smart kids, Eric. Um, got th- special thanks to our, our whole podcast team, including Eric, Dave, Kevin. Jamil. Jamil. We, we show up, Mindy and I, and we, we record and magic happens and you guys get a fully finished, fully edited podcast recording. You don't hear all of our uh, gaffes, you know, the occasional naughty word when we screw up, those types of things. They, they do a fantastic job and we're really appreciative of them. So thank you guys. Big shout out to our podcast team, everybody. And um, thanks for all you do. Yes, they definitely are the ones who are bringing you the fabulousness every week. Okay. We would like to say thank you for joining us today. We always love talking to you. If your children have a joke that would be on Scott's mental level, please feel free to email it to us, Mindy at biggerpockets.com or Scott at biggerpockets.com. Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 183 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen saying, if we don't see you around, we'll see you square. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com/deals 
enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.